3: the Vox Media Podcast Network
4: Eugene Aubrey might not be a household name but in the Philadelphia MMA scene he was building a reputation as one of the hardest-working up-and-comers in the area a young man who literally went all-in on the sport of mixed martial arts, so much so that he was willing to go without food, family, and even shelter to make his dream of making it to the UFC a reality. As the path was becoming a little bit clearer and things were starting to fall into place, tragedy struck. A senseless and seemingly random act of violence on a fall night in October 2020 may not have taken his life, but it took his ability to walk And in most people's eyes, it appears to have cut an aspiring fighting career short. While things seem impossible now, Eugene Aubrey, with the help of a giving and selfless community around him, is not willing to accept that fate just yet. This is a story about trauma, self-sacrifice, overcoming adversity, and hope for a miracle. I'm Mike Heck from MMAFighting.com, and this is Unpacking the Suitcase Kid. The first time Eugene Aubrey came on my radar was in January of 2019, and it just so happened that New England Promotion CES was putting on a Saturday afternoon show in Lincoln, Rhode Island, and I was able to get a last-minute credential. The opening bout of CES 54 was a lightweight contest between Aubrey, who took the fight on a little over a week's notice, as he faced Gil Pinheiro. The fight was crazy. Both men going back and forth in the opening round before the momentum and the tide began to turn in Aubrey's favor. He eventually submitted Pinero in the second round with a rear naked choke to improve his professional record to 3-0. My old editor at the time was telling me a little bit about his story, about how at times he was homeless, giving up stability, a place to live, even meals, in order to accomplish his goals in the sport of mixed martial arts. He went on to fight up two weight classes in August of 2019 against one of the top welterweight prospects in the country, a fighter set to compete on this season of Dana White's contender series in Solomon Renfro, and he lost a close split decision at CFFC 77. As the COVID-19 pandemic began to crush the world, Aubrey wasn't able to book his fifth professional fight, and as things were starting to turn the corner and regional MMA was trying to get back its pulse, Aubrey got a full-time job at world-class mixed martial arts in the Philadelphia area. Things were starting to fall into place for the suitcase kid as he was awaiting his next opportunity to compete inside the cage. On October 22nd, 2020, just before 10 p.m., Aubrey took the train back to his apartment after a full day of training, coaching, and teaching at the gym. As he began his walk home, he stopped at his favorite local restaurant to grab a bite to eat. It was closed, and Aubrey continued his walk. From there, his life changed forever.
5: I was on 52nd and Spruce. I just hit a right, and then somebody ran up behind me. I spun to see what was, because I felt a tug on my bag, and then I got shot. Basically, I got hit in the neck point blank range, and it paralyzed me from the chest down.
4: As he's down on the ground, shot in the neck, clinging for his life, realizing he has no feeling in his legs, Eugene happened to notice an individual come out of an apartment building nearby. And with all the strength he could muster, he was able to get his attention. I seen somebody come outside and I yelled for him.
5: Especially where I was in West Philadelphia, people don't typically come outside when they hear a gunshot, they just stay inside. So for him to come outside and see what was going on, you know, what was that, that was awesome because it gave me the opportunity to, to get his attention. And then he called the police. Uh, I basically realized at that point I was paralyzed. I already knew. So when they asked me to get up, I'm like, "Look, well, I can't. So they threw me in the back of the uh, paddy wagon and then drove me to the trauma center.
4: To this day, Eugene Aubrey has no idea who the good Samaritan is that saved his life. From there, Eugene was transported to Penn Presbyterian Medical Center in critical condition. With no other options ahead of neck surgery, he was placed in a medically induced coma, pumped with paralytic so that there would be little chance of irritating the base of the area where the near fatal bullet entered. The operation was successful, and Eugene remained in a coma for a little under a week. It took a few days for the fogginess to fade away, which was then replaced by confusion, fear, and eventually, acceptance.
6: I didn't
5: really start getting my bearings on what was going on until about three days after my birthday. So about 10 days after everything had happened, that's when I started coming to a little bit more and understanding that I was in the hospital. But I would say probably could have been like five days and then I remember getting put on like real heavy drugs, like amphetamines and stuff, and um, it's kind of hard to piece together exactly how long, but 10 days I started understanding, okay, I'm in the hospital. I was shot, and I remember. Him. I would say, yeah, since that I almost died, but overall it just kind of sucked. Because then I, you know, you start understanding, okay, uh, legs aren't moving. And I would, I would say, no one wants to get shot, but it wouldn't feel as bad if it didn't take so much away. But it was crazy just being that close to dying.
4: The biggest thing it took away, in his eyes was an aspiring fighting career that included three straight finishes, two under the CES banner and the split decision loss, under the CFFC banner, up two weight classes against one of the top 170-pounders in the nation. While most believe his only professional loss will be the final time he fights, Eugene Aubrey is not ready to accept that. One of the more fascinating pieces of this story throughout my conversations with Eugene and people in his life stems from where his nickname comes from, the Suitcase Kid. What does that mean? Where did it come from? Eugene was able to give me the genesis of the nickname.
5: It came from my grandmother who had passed. So she used to use it in a not nice way. So it wasn't like a compliment. It was more of an insult. Because my mom was very erratic. And she would move around all over the place. So we would just bounce around Philly. And so she would get mad about it. And she'd say, you and your brother... Ain't nothing but some suitcase, kids. And that's what she would say. So then when she passed away, I kind of like took it on as like a moniker. And I kind of turned it, I look at it as like not forgetting where I came from and just turned it into a positive.
4: Pro fighter and renowned striking coach Ryan Cafaro, who works with the likes of Eddie Alvarez, Frankie Edgar, and many other high-level fighters in the tri-state region, saw the nickname as more of a sacrifice to accomplish his dreams of making it to the UFC. Rather than have steady living quarters or even a meal at times, Aubrey focused all of his time on training and fighting, no matter where that led him on certain nights.
3: At one point, he had a he had a membership to a gym and just so he could sleep in the gym overnight and sneak under like a boxing ring to sleep. You know what I mean? Or sleep on the subway, do whatever he had to do. And I mean, it's uh, I, I guess that's where the, the, the actual suitcase kid moniker came from.
4: Eugene's relationship with his parents has been a rocky one, to say the least, throughout his entire life. He hasn't spoken with his mother in over a decade, while the recent tragedy has begun to rekindle the relationship with his father, Gene. The latter side had more to do with the career path Aubrey wanted to take, while the former is a much different story.
5: Yeah, my mom, she just didn't take very good care of me. She just put me in a lot of bad situations. She bounced around a lot. She had suffered from, bipolar and her family unfortunately from her time period I guess they didn't believe a lot in just like mental health and things like that so they made it only worse but to go into deeper I guess uh, she, she I mean it got bad I guess the worst it got was to the point where I was just getting locked in a room and fed one bowl of oatmeal a day and just beat on and like the only thing I was allowed to do was leave the room and just do a bunch of like she would just like have me clean the entire house, I mean like head to toe, the whole crib and just beating on me while she's while she's doing it. It has not, nothing to do with, it didn't matter how clean I made something, I'm still getting smacked over the head. So it was, it was just not a really good mental or physical relationship with my mother. Then put me in like dangerous situations. I mean, there was times where we were living with just strange sometimes, cause she wasn't with my father anymore. So we were living with sometimes like strange men with really bad backgrounds. And, so it was pretty bad in terms of overall to the point where I just got tired of it. And I just started grabbing, like, you know, because as you're getting bigger and I'm maturing and I'm, you know, becoming a man, it's like you get tired of that kind of stuff. So you start grabbing her hand, and stop hitting me, stop doing this, stop doing that. And it got to the point where she was escalated to the point where, like, she's pulling knives on me, she's biting my hand to where my finger's almost coming off, like. Just, yeah, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. She's a little crazy, but, but there's some good of it that came. I mean, she taught me how to work hard in certain ways. Like, I mean, something funny, but I guess, this is more comical. Um, uh, she used to not let me take the bus to school. So, when I was living in northeast Philly, when I was living off of uh, Frankfurt and Lyon, I would go a school called Austin Mehan. it's middle school, and she would not let me take the bus. She, she would make me leave late enough for the only way i get on time is if I ran. And she's like, You better run your ass to school, or I swear to goodness, huh? and I would be out, I will run. To the point where I would leave my textbook at school so I could be lighter and just run the school faster.
4: With the mental and physical toll his home life was taking on him, Eugene had had enough. Now remarried and living in a different part of the country, Bridget is in a much better place mentally, although she still has to deal with some of the things she has done in the past, along with the regrets that she has, and a relationship with her son that may never improve from non-existence.
2: I was doing the best that I could, which was not good enough. I failed him miserably. Um, I thought that I was giving him consequences, teaching him... And really, all I was doing was being abusive. I was absolutely 100% abusive to my son. I live with that every day. It haunts me. I'm not the same person I was at 20 that I am at 48. I have uh, apologized profusely to, to my son. It's never going to be enough. I get that.
4: Eugene's father says that he experiences ex-wife's bipolar episodes. As his son got a little older and a little braver, Eugene tried to explain to his father what was happening at home, and his father states he was forced to make a difficult decision.
1: Unfortunately, it's Mother's Day every day in the court system. I went down there, Gene came to me as a a kid, like maybe eight years old, and was like, Dad, I can't take it at my mom's house anymore. She's abusing me every day. She was beating him if he told her that he loved me. So she would beat him until he said, I don't love my father. That's how bad she was. I went to the court and said, this is what's going on. They turned me into such a liar. And the reason being is that Gene said he was so afraid of what she was going to do that he had to go in there and tell the judge, my dad's lying, my mom is fantastic, so forth and so on. And so at that point, I knew I couldn't win. I couldn't. Me going down to court, spending all a bunch of money on lawyers, is and the best thing for my kids at the time when I told Gene this as I said, look, well, as long as I'm in your life, she is going to torment the shit out of you. And so I st- I stepped back and said, listen, I told her and I told him, if you ever come see me, I'm here for you. I said, but this is too much crazy shit for me to deal with constantly. At one point, I had custody of Jean and Colin because she stabbed me.
4: When asked about the stabbing, Bridget confirmed that it did indeed happen, while also stating that the relationship between she and Jean was a volatile one, to say the very least, and that there's two sides to every story.
1: She would up the level. So if he up the level, she would up the level. To the point where like she was putting knives to his throat, you know, all kinds of shit, threatening to cut his balls off when he was sleeping, like just shit that you would never expect your mom to come
4: out of your mother's hip mouth. Eventually, Eugene learned to fend off his mother's attacks. Life began to get more complicated, and she eventually called Gene to take his son. The next chapter of Eugene's childhood would begin as he officially put any relationship with his mother behind him for good, never speaking or uttering another word to her. It was also the beginning of a new love and a new lifelong goal. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday,
0: May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning Bantamweight Champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch
4: Much like a young Henry Hill wanted to be a wise guy in the opening scenes of Goodfellas, Aubrey saw MMA and fighting the same way. While most teenagers were likely dealing with the pressures of school, being the popular kid and finding a date to the semi-formal, Eugene's world was filled with how to get out of class, avoiding his father and truant officers, and getting his education, not in the classroom, but in the School of Mixed Martial Arts.
5: I was all in already. From high school, I didn't care about high school. I was leaving, like, I would literally go to high school in my PJs, go home by second period, go to pack my stuff, go to work, go to the gym. I didn't care about school. I was like, I'm ready to work and go to the gym. That's what I wanted to do. I don't, it wasn't for me. Like, I just, that wasn't my life. Just for various reasons. I think that's part of my mom's fault. Because that was one of the things that she used to just use to abuse me over is just homework, schoolwork. Has nothing to do with getting good grades. It's like this just weird controlling thing where it's just like she's just beating on me for hours about like sentences. You know I can't like use you you know you use vocab words and you would come up with like sentences. I don't like these sentences. Do them again. Crumple up the paper. Beat on me. Spit on me. Just and do it again. At hours and sometimes last hours and hours and hours. So when you get to high school and someone isn't doing that to you no more for. to to get straight A's. I don't care about school, that's not for me. It's already sucked all the fun out of wanting to excel academically for me personally. So fighting was a different outlet and that's the route I wanted to take.
4: As most fathers are when it comes to their teenage sons, Gene hoped to see his son have backup plans, an education, steady employment, something to supplement his love for fighting. That wasn't the case for the suitcase kid Eugene Aubrey. At the age of 16, Eugene Aubrey began to build a reputation as one of the hardest working mixed martial artists in the region. Miles Lee, one of the top prospects at 185 pounds, saw that firsthand the first time he met Eugene, which began a friendship and a training partnership that has become something of legend in the Philadelphia area.
7: Yeah, it's tough, it's tough, but um, I love it because we got each other better, you know, and that's what made us really close because we, we both wanted the same goal. And our work ethic was really like it was really like on the same level. I was happy to have him by my side and really so like being him helping me and um helping me do my stand-up and stuff like that got me way better. Like, Eugene is like a different breed, like, that man, but like, he really worked hard.
4: It didn't take long for Kafaro to see the drive and hunger in Eugene.
3: The first time we trained, uh he he beat my fucking ass. Up and down the mat, across the mat, everywhere. And I mean, I'm I'm a pro at this point. You know, I have uh, you know, I have a decent record at the time. I think I was like, you know, four and two, something like that. And on my way up, and I, I had a lot of momentum at the time. And I was like, who the fuck is this kid? What really stood out to me was his um, his he had no hesitance when it came to violence. Like, if you're talking about like sparring partners that are you know, like, is this okay? No, like blasting knees, wearing knee pads, but I mean blasting them with like vicious intent, like. He clearly, sparring him, he had a chip on his shoulder. And when, when you spar somebody who really wants to, like, take it to you, you can feel that. I would get anxiety about it going into sparring because we would go, like, to war, absolute war, like, two days a week. And I would afterwards, I didn't train for the rest of the day because I couldn't because I was shot. I mean, the, the level of intensity and the level of, like, just raw, like, you could just tell. Like, he's like, I'm here. Like, he fights and he... Spar's like you stole something.
4: At the time, Kafaro was not only making a name for himself as a fighter, but as a striking coach as well. Not only was he impressed with Eugene's ability to get the most out of everybody in the room or just weed out the posers, but he also took note of Eugene's thirst for knowledge and making every second in the gym count. So when a former UFC lightweight champion was preparing for a big test, Kafaro called on Aubrey, a then-Orthodox fighter, to lend a helping hand.
3: We actually used him to help Eddie Alvarez get ready for Dustin Poirier. So in three weeks, I taught him to be Southpaw and to spar from Southpaw. And he went and gave Eddie Alvarez some of the toughest rounds of his camp preparing for Dustin Poirier either in the first or second fight. I can't remember. He would want to hit pads for like 45, 50 minutes straight. And when I say straight, I mean no rest. He's like, no, no, we're putting gloves on and I'm not stopping. And I would just set a timer on my phone. And the only time I we would pause is a, if I went to switch from like focus minutes to type ads. And I think once we did a, a 32 minute round nonstop, take it as a compliment, Eugene, but you're a fucking psycho. And if it's not worth his time, he's going to let you know early by beating the dog shit out of you. So if you're not like, yeah, if you, I mean, like I said, this is all complimentary in the sense that like, if you weren't there for work, then you were not even worth his time. Like, don't, don't come in the gym because I'll, I'll beat you down to the point where you never want to come back.
4: Eugene and Miles Lee would engage in marathon wrestling sessions, which became a thing of legend. They would show up at different gyms and would go off on their own, away from the classes to do their own thing. And it became a show that nobody could take their eyes off of.
7: Me and Eugene used to do that a lot. Sometimes we used to do it like an hour. But, um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Eugene, like, oh my gosh. We had, like, so many awesome moments in the gym. Like, there have been times that me, um... We did like four or five rounds of sparring at that. We did like
4: 30 minutes, 40 minutes of wrestling, you know. Eugene's training room demeanor began to translate into his performances inside the cage. In his pro debut at CES 52 in August of 2018, Eugene Aubrey delivered a memorable finish that left an impression on current UFC welterweight Sean Brady.
8: He hit this guy with a flying knee. Like he came out, he had these like white... Like gladiator shorts, like cut. He always had like some crazy shorts he would fight in, and uh, I hit this dude a flying knee and finished him like super fast. And it was the whole crowd was going crazy. We were at the uh, the 2300 arena, and he blew this dude out of the water like in a minute. And that's definitely something that stands out in my mind. He kid's good man, and like I said, he's he had the potential to be in the UFC, and if if he comes back from it. I'm sure that motherfucker will work his way back to where he was at, you
4: know? Oddly enough, mixed martial arts began a potential foundation of a relationship between Eugene and his father, while also being the main catalyst for the variability of where the relationship would end up. Eugene's definition of all-in was vastly different from his father's. While his father may have respected what Gene was doing in order to make his dreams come true, he wasn't a fan of how he was going about it. In fact, He believes all of that self-sacrifice may have hindered Eugene's development in the long run.
1: What Gene interprets as uh, the MMA life and following his dream, uh, to me, I find that it's very, like he had a lot of times where he was homeless. And it's no fault of my own, it's not my fault that he was, but if you're, you know, he would just not work. And, um, or, 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 you know, and along those lines where I don't have any food and I'm like, well, are you working? No, I got to put my hours in at the gym. To me, these things don't make any sense. They're not logical. They don't make sense. Um, a lot of people I know in the MMA business, they work and they, have been, and they do MMA, um, and, and they train and they do, but they're still, they still have more gene which sacrifice stability in order to, to continue training. And I think, in my opinion, and this would he probably may beg to differ. I feel that that lack of stability actually held him back a few years of his development and his training. If he would have been more stable, if he would have had, there's times where he's given. He had an apartment in Norberg. He gave up the apartment to be homeless, so he could put in more time at the gym. These things don't make sense to me, and a lot of times. That would upset me. And I I would be like, yo, man, he would get mad and then we'd we'd stop talking to
4: each other. Both Eugene and his father agreed that their differing opinions on his fighting career and the sport of MMA was the ultimate downfall in their relationship. Eugene wanted to do things his way, while his father viewed things from, at least in his mind, a more realistic way of thinking. When Eugene wanted to drop out of school, out of the house he went. If he wasn't working and making money while pursuing his dreams, Eugene was shown the door. Eugene Aubrey sacrificed pretty much everything for his goals. If people in his life, including his own father, went against those wishes, it only fueled his fire more.
5: It became kind of like an F you, I'm going to show you that I can do this. Anyways, I don't care, I'm going to show you. And so, you know, and then then he would try to come back again, and then we'd just hit the fan again. And then after I started getting too old for it in my mind. I just was like, man, I'm cool. So I was was honestly going to be honest, if I didn't get shot, I would be comfortable with never speaking to him again. That was my mindset. I was like, okay. And I'll just call him when I'm in the UFC. Like, see, Fox? I did it. I told you I'd do it.
4: And here I am. Although Eugene Aubrey was down in his luck, he was introduced to Shanine Moore, a mother of a training partner of his who took him in, no questions asked. She didn't need particulars. She didn't need a background. All Shanine saw was a young man in need. And that's all she needed to hear. And she did all she could do to help him out.
6: I didn't know what his circumstances or situation was like when I first met him. Um, and then um, he had a situation where he needed a place to stay. And I was like, you can stay here. He left at one time and came back and he needed a place again to stay. And I was like, you can stay here. You know, I'll never see anybody on the streets, but he was he's special, you know. Um and I think our relationship has grown over the years, whereas though he calls me mom, Mom Dukes. <laughs> so yeah,
4: how does that how does that make you feel?
6: Well, it makes me feel good. um because i've I've always like loved to see him fight. Um, I know how determined he is. I know how driven he is, and he doesn't let anything in life stop him from what he wants to achieve. So I'm looking forward to him walking again, I'm, I'm praying for
4: that. With the COVID-19 pandemic doing damage globally, Eugene, three and one as a professional fighter, began trying to figure out his next move. Things were starting to fall into place as he landed a job in MMA, coaching and teaching classes as he was seeking his next fight. On October 22nd, 2020, Miles Lee began to notice that Aubrey wasn't as visible as he normally was on social media, and his gut told him that something was wrong. He was right.
7: And you know, I was like hitting G- Eugene up, and it's just like he wasn't answering his phone. I-, I went to his house, I knocked on his door and everything, and um, he wasn't answering his phone. So I literally, I blew up everybody that was close to Eugene and his family to figure out what was going on. and. I finally figured out like around like five o'clock, around like five or six o'clock, and um, he got shot in the neck, and know. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's sad because for, for no reason, you know what I'm saying, it's just bum, this loser, just shot him for no reason, you know? And it's just, it's really sad. You know, every time I think about it, I get negative thoughts, because it's like, what the fuck? You know, like why? Eugene, Eugene had a bright future. A really, really bright future in the sport of MMA, and it just—it just sucks to see that happen to him. You know, it got—it got me emotional a while, and it, it took me a while to actually like—I'm not—I'm not—I've so, never moved on from from it, but you know, what I'm saying, I—I I, I truly, but I truly believe that um, he's going to get better, and I think he's going to walk again. It just gets me so angry because it's like, why, you know, what I'm saying, why, why would you, why, why would you shoot this guy? Like, what did he do to you?
4: It was during a workout at a friend's house nearby where Cafaro began getting word that Eugene had been harmed. But he wasn't sure to what extent at the time. What began as a rumor that his star pupil was jumped by some thugs on the subway ultimately turned into a horrifying truth.
3: My girlfriend literally says, well, at least he didn't get shot. And then we call the hospital and they tell us that he's been shot in, in the neck and he's been paralyzed. And um, it was... Um, it was rough. Um, I, was, I was in absolute shock, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah, I, I lost it pretty bad. Uh, I was, I was pretty, pretty messed up over it.
4: Eugene's father wasn't made aware of what happened until the following morning. His father told me in our conversation that there were certain times throughout the year where his mind would begin to race, and that leads him to shutting down distractions in order to get some sleep. One of the biggest distractions we all have, you guessed it, are cell phones. When Gene Aubrey woke up and turned his phone on, the alerts were overwhelming. Text after text after text came in, to the point where he couldn't keep up with them. Gene then realized his son was in the middle of the battle of his life.
1: The worst thing that anybody could ever, as a parent, Gene here is that your son is in the hospital. He's been shot and he may be paralyzed. And uh, so I jumped in the car, I called my boss and told him what happened and told him I'd be late. And I went down there. And at first they weren't going to let me in because Gene, he went out of his way to tell him, I don't want my dad here to see me. And I don't know why, because he could have been, some of the, uh, some of the, shit, the procedures that he need to get done, the people he thought were family, who he loved so much, and they're my my mom, my stepmom, and this is my sister and my brother, they wouldn't sign these papers, this paperwork.
4: With more difficult decisions to be made, Gene made another choice in order to help and protect his son. Even against his son's wishes, Gene feels he did what he had to do.
6: So three days in,
1: I'm, they're like, look, he needs these procedures done. After what's the chance they're hurting? They said it's about a 10% chance it could kill him. And I said, well fuck, I'll take that chance. If he gets blood clot in the lung, fucking 10 percent's worth it because if he's not getting better, he's not gonna get on his respirator. What's the fucking point? Is it gonna be a vegetable on the respirator? Let's do it. So I made a hard decision, I said, fuck it. Gene gets, he gets mad and he's like, you should just let me die on the respirator. Um, but I had to do it, I mean, who, who, who wouldn't take that chance?
0: You think I want him to stay
4: like that? No. Eugene would go on to have successful surgery and a few days later, he was out of his medically induced coma. While sure there are blurry bits and pieces, it was a few days later when Eugene Aubrey realized what actually happened to him on that night of October 22nd, 2020.
5: I didn't really start getting my bearings on what was going on until about three days after my birthday, so about 10 days after everything had happened, that's when I started coming to a little bit more and understanding that I was in the hospital. But I would say probably could have been like five days and then I remember getting put on like real heavy drugs, like antheminines and stuff and um, it's kind of hard to piece together exactly how long, but 10 days
4: I started understanding, okay, I'm in the hospital, I was shot and I remember it. For about a month, Eugene couldn't speak because he was on a ventilator, unable to move his neck and unable to breathe on his own. In addition, He experienced swelling in his hands and fingers to the point where doctors briefly thought he might be quadriplegic. Eventually, the swelling went down, feeling came back in his fingers so he could type in text, and a speech box was put in to assist with verbal communication, waking up his vocal cords to the point where he no longer needed it. When Eugene realized his father gave the doctors the go-ahead to perform the operation, Eugene's mind was still racing with the senseless act that had happened to him. According to Gene, it kick-started an attempt to rekindle a very bumpy relationship, one that his father believes will remain in that state for years and years to come.
1: He wasn't upset, let's put it that way. He, he couldn't say much because he was all drugged up. But I asked him, I said, Gene, now that I'm here and I signed the paperwork, if you want me to not come back, I won't come back. I said, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And everything was all right. And he said, no, 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 you can come back. I said, all right, no problem. But every once in a while, he gets mad at me now. He even said to me two nights ago, he said, you wouldn't even be fucking talking to me right now if I wasn't fucking shot. We wouldn't be talking. He was mad at me about something. So, so so it's true. We probably wouldn't be. And I even said to him, I said, if the shoe was on the other foot, as stubborn as you are, you probably wouldn't have came to visit me. And he said, you know what, Dad? You're, you're right. You're right. He probably wouldn't have. You know what I mean? And it's, it's sad that, that our relationship was that bad. You know what I mean? So and I told him, I said, look, man, you're my son. I'm always going to be here for you, no matter what happens. No matter how many people shit on you, no matter, no matter how down you get, I'm going to be here.
4: There's nothing that Gene Aubrey would want more than to have a 90s sitcom-esque father-son relationship with his son. Like most in his position, Gene is sad when he thinks about how things have turned out. With time comes wisdom and maturity. It's Gene Aubrey's hope that his son Eugene will find some semblance of peace with the horrible things he's experienced as a child, and while seemingly much more difficult currently, what he's experienced as an adult. In my eyes, personally, it's my hope that Gene Aubrey can get some of that peace to fall into his proverbial cup as well.
1: I can't say that every decision that I've ever made was right, but I also don't make unstable decisions. I've never in my life said, you know what, I want to be a baker so bad, I'm going to live on the I mean, but I, I think that we're always going to have this up and down relationship. We're just learning how to deal with it more. that If we know we're getting on each other's nerves, we just fucking ignore each other for a couple of days. You know, like that. Instead of, instead of harping on each other and making it worse.
4: According to Eugene, a suspect has been arrested in relation to the shooting, along with several others in the area. When I asked the Philadelphia police if they could confirm that information, they were not able to. Just telling me that the investigation is active and ongoing.
0: and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it.
4: Since his release from the hospital, Eugene Aubrey has been exercising, eating healthy, and trying to do whatever he can to improve his physical well-being, including a gesture from local students who built him a homemade stander so he could get to his feet at least four times a week to keep the atrophy in his legs down. If Eugene is able to get feeling down there again, he wants to be better prepared for it. The next step is the beginning of a four-phase stem cell treatment where 400 million stem cells will eventually be injected into his spinal fluid the procedure is quite costly. Although a GoFundMe started in his name raised enough money to get him financially able to receive the treatment. Currently, at the time of the release of this mini-documentary, Aubrey is in Bogota, Colombia getting the first wave of the treatment done with a week's worth of procedures. While being able to walk again is something Eugene certainly wants to achieve, his top priority, no matter how slim the chances are, is to be able to start training and eventually step back into the cage.
5: Uh, They've already had great results. Uh, There's things you can see on the page. I've seen a quadriplegic that couldn't move his arms and he's using an electrical wheelchair and then he comes back and he's got a manual wheelchair and it's, I, it's over the course of time it's not nothing's like a quick fix and it's it's slow recovery it's still gonna depend upon working hard making sure I'm going to my physical therapy making sure I'm, I'm exercising all that stuff is important if I don't do any of that eating right you know everything goes into it to make it work, and it's not. It takes. It's over a course of time, but they've shown results. To go from an electric wheelchair to a manual wheelchair—that's big, that's huge, that's that's gigantic. So, so no one's gotten up sprinting. But if I can just get that chance, I can get the opportunity to work myself back.
4: Eugene remains positive. Recently, Eugene sent me a video of a paraplegic regaining partial movement after just two sessions, which includes leg mobility and the ability to do sit-ups. To say it motivated Eugene Aubrey would be a giant understatement. If I can get back what this guy has, man, I'm gonna push it into the next gear. That's all I need, Eugene wrote me. I don't doubt that for a second, I responded minutes later. What Eugene Aubrey has accomplished to this point, including getting some feeling in his lower back, has been an inspiration to a lot of fighters in the area. Sean Brady has followed along on his journey and wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if Eugene Aubrey did the impossible.
8: He's mentally tough and um yeah, I mean that that would probably crush most people, you know? Like you're you can't you can't walk. But I, I've seen his videos of him like he's lifting and he's and he's flexing and shit. Like he's he's hilarious. I I love it though, man. That's If you're going to come back from something like that, that's the mentality you have to have. And he's definitely in the the right mind space to, to have a miracle happen. And if someone's going to do it, it's going to be him.
4: Deep down, Eugene Aubrey says if fighting is no longer an option, he would ultimately be okay with that. Since there are avenues within the sport he could still take, whether it be as a coach or, as he's done since the incident, commentary. Of course, the ability to walk again in some capacity would soften the blow a bit. When Kafara was asked if he believed Eugene would be content never fighting again, his response, albeit passionate, definitely was not what I expected.
3: Let's, you know, cut the, all the other stuff. His main goal is I will get back in that cage. That's his primary goal. He can, you can spin it whatever you, way you want. He's like, I was put on this planet to fight people in a cage. And if I can't do that, then I don't know what I'm going to do. So we're, we are shooting for a return to the octagon or a return to a cage as soon as he is well enough to return to training. I, I feel like just personally, just how much work we've put in, maybe, maybe I'm not okay with it. Maybe I'm the one that's like, absolutely not. Cause you, you know, we have put in so much work together. I, I told him multiple times while he's in the hospital, I was like, you owe me a fucking world title. I was like, I didn't put in all this work with you for you to just get shot and dip on me. I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. You owe me a world fucking title you are going to put a belt in my lap and you are going to be my first homegrown world champion. I was like, I don't want to hear anything else from that. Cause you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the best in the world, but I I would consider Eugene to be my first official, like homegrown prospect from like early, early stages. I've been working with him since he was an amateur. So for him to to aspire to world champion status, I really believe that he has the capability to do that. So um, maybe he's okay with it, but I'm not.
4: Other people in his life close to him, including Miles Lee and Shanine Moore, or Mom Dukes, as Eugene likes to call her, believe that Eugene Aubrey would be happy just being part of the MMA scene in some way, form, or fashion. Eugene's father believes that walking, having bodily functions below the waist will make things okay in the long run. If he can live a somewhat normal life, be able to have a relationship with a woman that understands what he's going through and is able to do what other adult males are able to do, Gene has confidence his son will see the light of positivity. Eugene isn't ready to think like that this early in the recovery game, but his father is hoping for the best in that sense.
9: But if Gene can't walk and Gene is where he's at now and he doesn't get better, the stem cells don't help, he's going to be in a really, really, really really dark place. And I, I I don't know. I don't I don't think he'll be okay with it. I just don't. Um I know I know like I said he his biggest thing is if he can get some some mobility some more 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 of sensation. I mean he, he's he's 25 years old man. 25 years old. He's pissing in a bag he has to he has to take shit the shit. He's like what the fuck do I have to live for? I was an athlete at the top. I could run 20 miles if I felt like it. And now I can't fucking get from one chair to another. So I kind of understand, you know, what what he's going through. But uh, he's like, what am I going to live for? What do I, I can't have a girlfriend. Can't have a regular job. What can I do? So he, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be tough. He could. Now, let's just say he starts walking. Let's just say he gets to stand up on his own. Maybe he, maybe he gets, you know, his uh, bowel routine back. He gets his, he can, he can, um, doesn't have the calf anymore, then yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, he can replace the MMA life. He could be a coach, or he can train the other people. He can open his own place up, or he can go in as a as a, as a a support person and, and ringside and coach people. But in this situation right now, the way he is now, I don't know. I don't think he could deal with it. It's, it's, I, I dread the days the UFCs are off. I dread the days when his his friends fight. I had them. Because his mood and the way he is is shit. Absolute shit.
4: Even though she doesn't have a relationship with Eugene, Bridget hasn't missed a fight or an interview that her son has done and found out about the tragic night in October of 2020 on a Facebook post. She may not be able to speak to him, but she owns up to everything she wrongly did in raising him and that she's proud of Eugene.
2: I just pray for him every day to get better. I've been following his interviews. Uh, I'm actually blocked on accounts. I have people... Sending me information just, just so that I have peace of mind to know that he is, um, you know, okay. And I know he's not exactly okay, but I'm so proud of the person that he is, the determined fighter. I am in awe of him. His attitude, everything, I, I'm just in awe of him. And if anything, I love him very much. And if you could tell him, you know, I, the world, I own what I did. I own it all. I was terrible. To him. And I'm so sorry for the childhood that he had. He didn't deserve it. I love him from afar. I will always give him what I financially can. I will always be there if he's willing. But I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit for for him just closing me out.
4: Bridget fully understands that there may never be a reconciliation with her son. She was then asked what she would say to Eugene if she ever got that opportunity.
2: Did I love him. And that um, I'm proud of him and that I am so sorry for everything that he went through. And that I wish I could take it all back and that I would absolutely do everything differently.
4: A positive mindset and some incredible luck is on the forefront of Eugene Aubrey's mind right now. When asked if he knew the identity of the man who shot him, he said the police would not share that information. One reason for that, according to Eugene, was fear of retaliation. Another reason is that he was told it was a 17-year-old kid that is attached to multiple shootings, even having the attempted murder weapon on his person when he was arrested. If in some way, Eugene Aubrey ends up face to face with the man who shot him, nearly took his life, and quite possibly stole his dreams and fighting career, he knows how he would approach the situation. Unfortunately, when it comes to the current times, the story of the suitcase kid is one of too many tragic Philadelphia tales. So they ask him why?
5: It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy what's happening in Philadelphia sometimes. Like people are getting shot and they're not even trying to rob people anymore. It's just straight up gun violence for absolutely no reason. It's different if they took something from me. They didn't even want anything. It's different if I met them before and maybe there was an altercation. And I would I wouldn't look at them as being honorable. But if there was at least a reason to be upset, it would make a lot more sense. And it's just becoming a point where it's like they're playing GTA or something. It's and people don't respawn. You know, you change people's lives and really affect people. So do you really understand? Can you comprehend what you're doing? You know. Kind of crazy, right? So I just asked him why. Could you ever forgive him? Uh, ba- I, I got based on my health. I gotta be honest, you know. It's just, it just took a lot from me. It's a lot. if I get better. The more better I get, less I care.
4: The story of the suitcase kid is one of the more unbelievable stories I've ever heard in my life, in or out of MMA. The amount of difficulty life has presented Eugene Aubrey, although some of that was due to his own drive and self sacrifice, would be insurmountable for a lot of people. As Eugene makes this drive towards the impossible, if you would like to support his journey, you can head to his GoFundMe page, which you can find on MMAFighting.com, or you can search for the Suitcase Kid and you can make a donation there to help out with these costly treatments. For all of us at MMA Fighting and within the MMA community, we wish Eugene Aubrey the best on this long road back. I would like to thank everybody who helped out in telling the story. First and foremost, I want to thank Eugene Aubrey himself for giving me the time to interview him multiple times and allowing me to run with the story from all angles. I also want to thank Sean Brady, not only for his interview, but for getting me in touch with people who know Eugene well. I want to thank Eugene's dad, Gene, for giving me the opportunity to get his side of the story. I know it wasn't easy, I know it didn't happen right away, and it took some convincing, but it meant the world that he gave me the green light. In addition, I want to thank Eugene's mom, Bridget, for not only calling me back and being so open about what happened during Eugene's childhood, but taking ownership of it as well. She seems in a great place these days, and I hope she and Eugene can speak again. I also want to thank Ryan Kafaro and Miles Lee for giving me the fighter side, the training partner side, telling me just incredible stories about Eugene in the gym and in the cage. I also want to give a big shout out to Shanine Moore, or Mom Dukes as Eugene calls her, for giving me the time and allowing me to listen to her share stories about Eugene, especially since I wasn't able to get the family side of the tale right away. Lastly, I want to thank Sean Elshadi and Steven Morocco for giving me the confidence to get out of my comfort zone and do something that I've never done before. With that, the story of The Suitcase Kid continues on, and we will certainly provide updates as we receive them. Thank you for listening to Unpacking The Suitcase Kid, an MMA fighting production.
3: He always liked doing a tribute to Eve Edwards, so he would take a like a snack up on the scale, be it a honey, a, a honey bun or a muffin or something. And he had a muffin, and his opponent goes, "Can I have a bite?" He goes, "No, you can't have a bite in my fucking muffin." And then I think he put that in a hashtag in one of his photos at the time. It was like, hashtag, no, you can't have a bite or some shit like that. So just that kind of, the guy he thought was the nicest guy in the world. And he was just like, fuck you, you can't have my mother. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.